Welcome back to the Brass and Unity podcast. And this episode this week is brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with the military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. Be sure to enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast. And in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. Also brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent their depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, finding someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, please head over to headsupguys.org. Also brought to you by Jackson Rowe. Vancouver Design Jackson Row clothing caters to a relaxed bohemian lifestyle. Large doses of love go into every single piece, featuring comfortable favorites like sweaters, dresses, play suits, and even stuff for men and children. Made up of neutral tones and flowy West Coast vibes, Jackson Row uses only the highest quality materials to ensure that you stay comfortable and looking great. Be sure to check out yours today at jacksonrow.ca and use the code UNITY at checkout. And by Beneath, Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H.com. Hey, everyone. I got the honor to chat with somebody today from Combat Flip Flops, the actual co-founder. His name is Matthew Griffin. Griff for short, and um, what a conversation that was. Um, he served with the 75th Ranger Regiment as a rifle company fire support officer with three tours in Afghanistan, one in Iraq, and it hit me in all the fields, in the deep, deep fields that I didn't know I even had, and I really hope that uh, you guys enjoy this episode. Good to be here. Thanks for having me today. No problem. I'm, I'm really thrilled. I, To be honest, I reached out to you guys for um, for sponsorship for the podcast uh, originally because, I, like I said, I had seen you guys on Shark Tank, and um, I'm not even going to lie to you. Uh, as soon as uh, you walked in with your hair and then said you were a ranger, it just for me it just clicked because... I remember working with guys like you and I remember the beards and then the just the the hair and this like no give a shit factor but such serious means business and as soon as you walked in it's like you demanded the the attention as as you should and you fucking killed it and I'm so thrilled to just talk to you about literally everything so can you start off with what you used to do before you were a, an amazing flip-flop designer? Uh, I have been through uh, the gamut of businesses. So I started out, uh, went to West Point. So I graduated in 2001, right into the war. I was a fire support officer for 2nd Ranger Battalion, did a whole bunch of downrange. Um, saw what was we were doing on there, wasn't really working. And I identified that back in 2003. And I got out in 2006. Uh, did the most like what veterans do when they transition is they bounce off the bottom of a couple times and they take any job they're willing to do. So I was a home builder. Uh, then I went to work for sales in a medical company, which kind of led me all over the world, which started the idea for combat flip flops. 
after that, I was a consultant developing equipment for special operations. And then I went and I was a vice president of operations for a, sounds really weird, but a cleaning company. So we specialize in cleaning armor and military equipment. And uh, after that, my business got to a point to where I was like, you know, people don't commit to you until you commit to it. That's right. So combat flip-flops was a, a fun project. And that's what people saw it as as a project because I was VP of this other business. And then I finally just like picked up and said, hey, I'm going full time over here. And that's when the business really started to gain traction. And now we uh, manufacture products in Afghanistan, Colombia, Laos, the United States. And we're always hunting for, for new funky spots to employ people and put little girls in school. See that that on its own, um, just you ending with that. I mean, that that is the part that resonates with me probably the hardest is that willingness to to help so many, um, because you and I both have deployed to Afghanistan. You doing uh, what year exact? What years were you there? Because it was you and your your brother in law too had deployed, right? And your co founder. No, my brother in law is a civilian, so he's. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's six seven of Montana, anti-war, long-haired, rock band playing hippie. Oh, right? so yeah. like we are, we are on the polar opposites of the spectrum. I would love to see Thanksgiving dinner with this family. I'm sorry, that would be dope because I feel like you just have these polar opposites that are, I think, have so much that you have. You both care so much. I think that's probably your only fault, sitting across from each other. Um, we get along pretty well. I think everybody's focused on the same goal, which is helping other people. And that tends to make a lot of the differences disappear. And that's what I mean. That's why. So it, it, I would love to see that because I would love to see two people that look complete opposites that are drastically other ends just sitting there getting along. What I was saying is I just love that you guys, I love that you're just so drastically different, but you, your common goal is, is, is just to help one another. I have like a million questions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you at the beginning kind of with when you deployed and the things that you were seeing and obviously the things that you were doing are not always the easiest to cope with, but I always find it fascinating when I get to speak with special operators um, from any country, whether it's England or US, Canada. Um, my one question to you guys is, you always seem like you guys deal with it a lot better than the rest of the uh, uh, soldier population, I guess, in terms of mental health and seeing the things you see and doing the things you do. Do you have a reason for that? And don't even say that you're like harder, harder, because I'll, I'll kick you right in the face. Because I, I think mental health is like, people really want to know how to fix this, right? So I, I think it's, to be honest, it's a propensity for action. Got it. Um, in the studies on post-traumatic stress, when they talk about events and people go through them, if you have the skills to deal with the event, if you're surrounded by people and you're actually motivated to take action, versus being paralyzed, you tend to do better with the event. And, and all the events that I was a part of, I was surrounded by anywhere between 15 to 100 guys, and we were all moving in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds weird, but maybe we had a, a way of sharing the trauma, which lightened the load for all of us. And then, you know, we know what we did right. And obviously, like we do our ARs, and we know what we did wrong. And then we don't repeat those mistakes again. And I think that's just the reason why you know, our community is just, we're just relentless about improvement. Um, and when things go bad, we realize that there's nothing any of us could have done about it, but what we're going to do in the future is prevent ourselves from making that same mistake again. And I, I really think that's why the special operations community does better with it than most. See that, that means that makes a lot of sense. Cause when you actually think back to the amount of training it takes you guys to get through, to actually become special operators versus how much it takes to become a grunt 
you know, infantry member or a gunner or just one, you know, an armored, it's a couple weeks, it's bang, 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 you go through your training and off you go. And I feel like there isn't, I don't want to say that quality training or that quality group of people around you, but a lot of, a lot of people slip through the cracks in terms of people who could have had possible mental health, uh, issues prior or possible issues in terms of just coping mechanisms at the very beginning and already struggling i feel like you guys kind of you guys weed that shit out really really well um <laughs> yeah and you know and it's it's different too because you know I, I i i honestly feel for a lot of conventional guys you know i've got a lot of friends and family that are in those units guys that i went to school with and we operated in a different war like we didn't work during the day. We didn't have to go out and do these peace patrols. We didn't have to go out and do all of these things where we were put into a higher, um, into an environment where we have a higher level of something going wrong. Yeah. So it's, so the stuff that we did, you know, we established speed, surprise, violence of action, right? So we were the dominant force. So there wasn't as much opportunity to be ambushed or blown up or all of those other things versus these conventional units, they, they're on a rhythm. They take the same routes. They do all the same things. So they open yes, themselves up. To which, so that opens people up to a lot of nasty conditions, which is, yeah. I mean, like nothing f frustrated me more, more than when I was traveling back down range as a civilian and seeing all of these conventional units rolling under those conditions. And my thought was, is like, these are young 18, 19 year old kids who yeah. trying to do the best for their country. And then their leadership is putting them behind bad policy and behind bad action, which is going to put them into a place where they're going to get into a situation that's going to cause post-traumatic stress. And like, I have a deep sense of empathy mm -hmm. for those people because it just, it wasn't fair to them. No. And it's, and I, I, I guess I say I grew myself in that because I was one of those and that's what happened to me. And that's very simple. Like it's, I just happened to be in a shit situation with some seriously incredible, like I had a dope unit that I got hurt with, but they were British and I was just the only Canadian and it just, you know, I learned really quickly that you you don't not move. You're always moving. You're never sleeping. You're always shooting. You're always firing. You're always blowing up, and you're always repeat, repeat. And I and I understand what you. That makes a lot of sense. And to hear someone of your caliber uh, in the military speak of it that way, uh, I wish I wish more of our command and I wish more of our staff members would take advice from people that are actually seeing it on the ground in your situation and witnessing it, even from a civilian perspective. Do you often get any questions or asked by anybody um, higher up for advice uh, or did you when you were in about how to handle or work better, more efficiently with these units? Yeah, so it's funny. So we were in uh, Iraq in 2005 and, you know, we were we were tearing up the network in northern Iraq. It was legendary. Um, <laughs> so there, there were a couple soft units who we were all working together and we were doing the right thing. And this conventional two-star came over and was kind of taking a tour of our compound. And he's like, well, how many IEDs and you know, vehicle casualties have you guys dealt with? And we're like, zero. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, zero. And he's like, well, what's your secret? Like, yeah, he's like, well, what do you do? It's like, well, we only go out at night. We turn our lights off and we drive really fucking fast. Right. And he's like, I don't get it. And he's like, no, we only go out at night. We turn our lights off and we drive really exactly. fucking fast. And it's, it's so simple, but like, no, you have to stay to your speed limits. You have to stay to your routes. We're going to go out during the day, do presence patrols. And like when they come and ask you for advice and you give them advice that will save their guys lives and they just blatantly ignore it. Like, it's horrible. Do you think that they ignore it because the idea of taking advice from somebody that isn't, 
I don't want to even say that's at, at their pay grade or whatever you want to call it. Do you think that they're just there's an ego trip happening there? Because think about it. Why else wouldn't they take the? I, I mean, I, I know I'm asking questions that you can't give 100% answers to. I'm just asking from your perspective and in your time, and because it's very, very rare. Especially, uh, I don't know if you even knew this, but jokes on you. I'm Canadian, and uh, I love oh, Canadian. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yay! It's a win, Coleman. We have a winner. And so what I try to explain to my listeners is when when hearing someone like you speak about it, it's incredibly um, informative. So that's why I'm asking these questions. So I know you can't give me like, but I just, I'm trying to get education out there so people understand what the hell's actually going on over there. So, all right, so here's how it goes. I love right, Lieutenant Griffin goes on on a patrol, right? <laughs> Like I, I literally, you know, go out, we plan the mission, we go out, we do our thing. We are literally charging through the door, collecting up all the sensitive, you know, information, doing our thing, looking what's going on, on the ground, checking out the neighborhoods. And we are there, we are present, we are in the moment and we come back and we write the truth um, because that is the best thing to keep guys like successful on the mission, right? What did we learn? What did we screw up? Where could we do better? What do we think are the next steps? Um, and then that that lieutenant report goes up to a captain and the captain's got to get an oer right yeah. and he he writes his little brief on it and then that goes up to a major and then it goes up to a lieutenant colonel goes up to a colonel and it goes up to a general and then that goes all the way up to policymakers in dc and it's like playing telephone tag but in the military and the the, the message the top guys are receiving are hey we're winning the war and that's really not the truth and that's as simple as an effect as I can give it to people. No, that, everybody's writing works. their reports to get a good OER to move on. And yeah, yeah. if you ask me about the hubris and the ego, I will say like, if there's one class of people that I do not like in the military, it's general officers. I have not met one, not one no. that I have liked. No. Uh, and because, you know, they, and there's so many of them that are out there that I've met that I interact with and I'm, you know, 20 years behind them and they look down on me yeah. while we're sitting in the same meeting with the same customers. Like, Hey bro, like, yeah. you know, come on now. Like you guys are writing books and getting paid 50 to a hundred thousand dollars per speaking engagement to talk about a war that you said you let in and you lost. Yeah. You lost it. Like lost poorly. And, yeah. and, poorly. and, and also have got hundreds thousands of innocent 18 year olds 19 year olds and some 17 year olds killed because you didn't listen with your fucking listening ears like a four-year-old and actually pay attention to what was going on in the country and then there's people like you that go back and i want to know what that was like because that for me to be honest with you is uh something i've always wanted to do is go back to afghanistan uh, just, it's part of the process. I, like I said, I didn't have badasses around me to like, you can do it. Instead, they all just, they go away. And then the trauma, that's what happens, right? Like you said, and that's it's very obvious. So it's been 10 years and now I'm like, I need to, you know, at some point in my life, go back to this place and let go of this shit so I can move forward and just do what I'm doing, right? How is that for you? So my buddy, Stacy Bear, he runs an organization called Adventure Not War. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, he's got a line and it's I, I firmly believe it because it's held true for me in both uh, areas in which I served in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. But he said, you have to go back so that way you can come all the way home. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's it's really the best line. And like I went back to Afghanistan in 2009. And when, when did you deploy? Sorry. That, uh, okay? take a minute. Hit me in the feels, bro. Why did you do that? <laughs> God damn it. Nobody gets this. I don't, we're going to, in person, one of these times, I'm like, oh, fuck, you got me in the feels, bro. Okay. Um, I was, uh, I deployed in 2009. I was there April till September and I got fucked up in June. Yes. Yeah, so, so you guys had the whole, uh, Alamo vibe. Right. So you, you know, you, you guys stayed behind these wall compounds, like you flew in on convoys, you did your missions, you rolled out, did your thing, rolled back in, and you never really got to hang out with the community. Well, for me, little weird. I'll give you a quick so you understand why I'm talking the way I talk. I'm a gunner. I go boom outside the walls. <laughs> I stay in the walls. I go boom outside. Um, and uh, I, on the triple sevens. And, um, we were with an American Marine unit uh, in the, we were in the Maywan district and we were in Fob Ramrod, real small. And uh, we were just two guns with this one unit. I never rolled out with them. I got called to go with the Black Watch and the Highlanders with Scotland because they needed a female to go play female searcher. Yeah, we used to do that all the time too. We'd snag female truck drivers and everything else to go roll with us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I got. I, I was lucky because I, to, I used to be a professional fighter, so I'm I, like I was in shape. I'm, I'm five foot. I'm tiny as hell, but I'm I'm in shape. So they took me with them, and it just happened to be they're like we never use. I mean, I'm not going to do the Scottish accent because you'll you'll piss your pants laughing. We never use females on the front lines. There's never women and children around. Jokes on you. And then all hell breaks loose and things go sideways. Everybody dies and everybody's getting shot. And I'm, I was ready for it. Like I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. I just wanted to, you have no idea when, I don't know if you've sat inside a fob for long periods of time, just knowing you're dropping stuff on really bad people, but never getting to experience where you are. And when I got to go do that, I did, I did that operation after that. They're like, yeah, you're cut. <laughs> you're going home. You're going to home to a hospital real quick. And then they sent me home to a hospital. So that, you know, I got one experience with locals. And I'm telling you right now, um, I live in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, yeah. I live like, a, I live about an hour or two hours south of you then. Yeah, you're not far from me. We could have, oh my God, Coleman. We could have met, met at the border at the goddamn Peace Border Park. That's the only, <laughs> okay. Did this in a tent? <laughs> in a visit in a tent? Okay, I need to explain something to you right now and why the hell that's a big deal. There is a park right by I my know house. Where it's at. You know that park, right? Yeah, I know where it's at. Okay, so we're having major issues with it right now because of COVID though. And yeah, it, well no, because um because we are having issues with it because people are coming and hanging out there in tents and trafficking. Like there's some shady shit going on because they're not getting checked. So a Canadian can go there and an American can go there and chill and hang out in tents. They have these big tents and then they can stay there 
and then they just go on their merry way and they don't have to quarantine like the rest of us but they also carry bags and there's only, you can't stop them there's only one cop so it's super awesome we should have done that i didn't know you were that close i would have paid you to drive there next time Oh, you're like, I'm never coming on your show again. What are you talking about? No, 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 we're good. Uh, so I'll go back to the original genesis of your question here. So yeah. when my first deployment was one called Winter Strike. Okay. It's where um, this was the second season of Fight in the War in Afghanistan and where they found out that nobody likes fighting in the winter. It yeah. sucks. Um, so what these guys do is they retreat uh, up into the high altitude mountain villages. Yep. And they hang out there and lick their wounds, hang out with mama all winter and come back out and fight in the spring, you know, end of February, early March fighting season. So the, uh, somebody's infinite wisdom, they were going to take three ranger battalions from sea level. And then they were going to send us up into these remote mountain villages and, you know, Eastern Afghanistan. And we lived in these villages. Like we were under feet of snow in the middle of winter, you know, having air supplies, you know, dropped into us when we couldn't get those, we were buying sheep you know, off the market and slaughtering them like out of the villages and slaughtering them for dinner on our front steps. And like, we got to live like a local with Afghans and yeah. And it, we established like a deep sense of empathy for these people because we saw the conditions in which they were suffering under, you know, no running water, no dependable electricity, no education. You know, we were still seeing polio victims everywhere. Just all of these things. And you're just like, wow, I can't believe you know, we're 2003 and, you know, this is still going on. Like, how can we not solve this already? And we're definitely not solving it by adding another 15 to 20 years of war on top of it. Um, so my, my experience was very different than 95% of military service members who have served there. Unless you've gone out and lived in the villages and stayed there for extended periods of time. Like I didn't do the Alamo thing until my third deployment to Afghanistan and then my deployment to Iraq. Um, and, and we established some pretty cool connections, had some pretty good stories there. Um, we got, got to know the people on a different level. Mm -hmm. And then by the time that I left Iraq, I was full on Alamo mode and a deep sense of hatred um, for that area of the world. Yeah. And um, it, took about three years and I got invited to go back. And when I went back, I got to see a side of the country that you don't get to see when you're wearing body armor and carrying a gun. You don't get to meet those people with huge hugs and handshakes and nice dinners and touring their family homes and getting to meet all of these people. You don't get that experience as a US service member. So you don't literally get to know Afghans at all. And that was, uh, was deeply cathartic for me. I'd say that confidently. And then I've gone back multiple times since. So in 2017, uh, I got to go back to Iraq uh, as a part of a sponsored team by the North Face with Adventure Not War. So Stacey Bear, um, civil affairs guy, I uh, fought in Baghdad, Robin Brown, who got shot down over Fallujah, female pilot. And the week before her friend had gotten killed, you know, in this wreck, you know, in the same kind of thing in the same area. And then myself, you know, I fought in Mosul in 2005 and it was really a crazy experience to go all the way back, you know, haul a base camp up through a couple thousand feet of minefields, then hike and ski off the tallest mountain in Iraq. And when we're on the peak, being able to look and see Mosul, you know, in the distance. And it was a really like cathartic experience, lots of tears, oh, lots yeah. of fun, but like, you know, putting the work and then skiing off the top of that mountain. And I got to say, like, since going back to both countries, my bad days 
regarding those experiences have essentially gone to zero. I need to you have to go. Afghanistan. You have to go back so you can come all the way home. But I would recommend not going to Afghanistan right now. I yeah, would yeah. highly recommend. Yeah, yeah. Nah, it's a sad face. Not good. No, it's sad, sad, sad face. Conversation. Yeah, sad, super sad face day for a lot of people. It's really difficult right now. Can you talk about it a little bit? Oh, no, I don't know if you've noticed that what's going on, but the Afghan peace process started a couple months ago. I saw, yeah, I knew about that, but I haven't seen it further. Yeah, so the Taliban and the Afghan government and the U.S. and all these international players are all meeting in Doha. And meanwhile, the Taliban is absolutely just wreaking havoc on Afghanistan right now. They have no reason to drop their leverage of violence because they don't have to. They're making billions of dollars every year off of opium, which has increased 9,000% yeah. production in Afghanistan since 2001. They're making hundreds of millions of dollars in illegal gold mines. They got money. They got guns. They got drugs. They got an infinite supply of fighters. And, there's, and the international community is going to look the other way. The Afghan government is struggling to keep up with the volume of violence that's going on right now. Why is this not being, why is this not, am I just missing this? Is this, is this, why is this not being reported? Because Americans don't fucking care. The world doesn't fucking care. If they cared, they would have solved this shit 15 years ago. Nobody fucking cares. Man, I thought it was just me that. We'll continue to send, spend $300 million a day in Afghanistan. We'll continue to send our, our sons and daughters over there to come home and flag great boxes. We will continue killing thousands of innocent civilians behind poor policy, and nobody gives a fuck. They'd rather get angrier about Baby Yoda eating eggs, right? That's, that's, what, that's what fucking people care about. And I mean, like, if you're, if you're hearing this and this, this offends you, then you should be offended because you didn't care enough to call your congressman or your politician to tell them to stop this stupid act of shit. I thought this was just me that spoke like this. I honestly did. I'm not even joking. Like the way that you're talking is how I speak on a regular basis. And I feel like I'm the only one that's, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall for the stupidity of what our government does on a regular basis by deploying with, with zero information on a regular, like literally the shit storm that has been caused over there and that they are so reluctant in fixing because they're supposed to be our enemies. But when you, when you see these kids, you see these women and kids over there. And for me, that was it. The women and kids. When you see these women and kids that are starving, that are being raped by relatives, that are having children of incest, uh, little boys that are being sent to ANA camps on Thursday nights, like the shit that goes on in Afghanistan that people don't care about, but they they are so willing to send everybody over and you know the military complex loves it so much they don't really care what happens afterward i'm a little bit uh i'm a little bit heartbroken to hear that it's it's getting to that stance again because i thought for one i had one one moment of um positivity where i was like holy shit they're having a treaty they're having a conversation this is never going to happen again and of course i should have all my treatment is like these people are all nice now you love all of these people but really the part of me that goes these guys are doing the same thing raping and pillaging like it's the fucking 1800s and nobody cares so i guess i'm just being overly optimistic and go back to being my normal self thank you Griff, for giving me that appreciate it you're welcome yeah yeah i mean it's gonna be a huge loss and a tragedy and a, a black mark in our time on this planet as a species so it should though it should be because we're going to keep repeating it we're going to keep doing it as long as there's oil in the ground and there's money and there's 
and there's things that can be taken from it. We're going to continue to take over small countries and fuck them up for our own pleasure. It's just kind of democracy, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh, people are yeah. like that. Ooh, some yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear, I let it slip. Don't cut don't don't cut that out, but I let that slip. Um, okay, uh, I know uh, I wanna know so how are you working? What's is that affecting your, your donations and what you guys are doing over there right now? Are you guys doing less work? Are you getting like how is this affecting your business then? Yeah, I mean so it's supply chains are definitely constrained and the COVID one and then violence the other. And so we're just making as much as we can when we can and shipping it however we can. Yep. Uh, the schools have been supported with an organization called Aid Afghanistan for Education. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, they won UNESCO's World Literacy Award. They're a globally recognized organization for just kicking ass in developing nations. And they're, they're set in the way. And they run 13 schools in northern Afghanistan. And essentially, the Taliban is targeting schools, education. Uh, Kabul University was attacked, what, last week? Yeah. Uh, 20 students killed, you know, 20... 20 or more plus injured. Uh, so they're going after education, institutes of education, and they're going after women, right? That's how you break the spirit of, of, of the Afghans. And a lot of people don't know this, but the only person to ever successfully take over Afghanistan was Genghis Khan. Mm -hmm. And the way that he did it is he eviscerated the women. Yeah. Because they're the heart, they're the heart and the soul of the culture. Yep. And, and, you know, Western, governments and organizations won't stomach that taliban's got no problem oh they'll fucking wipe them right off the face of the earth i've watched them do it myself and it is something that i never want to witness again in my lifetime but i know is going on on a daily basis and is my is my nightmare like that it, it's a to, to see what they're so willing to do to women and kids and i'm actually really glad that you brought this up and um i know this may not be something you want to discuss very much but for, for the people that are listening, I've said this and they've heard me say this time and time again, the, the lack of uh, care that they actually have for human life in general is some of the most disgusting things I've seen ever happen because of, and that is, they do not care about women and children. They are less than dirt in, in most parts of that, from what I've seen. And they're more than willing to use them as pawns, as IED weapons, as literally anything to get close to soldiers. And that's the troubling thing, is that you wanna change a culture that hates, inherently hates its women. And the women are the culture. So I really don't understand how we're ever supposed to fix this. Nothing. Look at him. He's like, nope. I mean, the only way that I could do it, the only thing that we should have done in 2001, once we invaded, is we should have gone in there with an army of freaking teachers and just mm -hmm. taught everybody how to read. I don't care about education. All I care about is literacy. Because if you teach people how to read, that's yep. all that I care about. Because then you can make your own decisions. Then you've got you your look at the information that's being fed to you. And you don't have to believe the person that's telling it to you because that's what's going on is they're just being fed lies and they don't have a level of education or understanding or rationale mm -hmm. to be able to see past those lies. And so they're believing everything that's told to them. And the only thing that we should be doing if we ever go anywhere as a nation is just making anybody literate. And I think every American would not mind spending a few hundred dollars of their tax money versus a few hundred thousand dollars on a hellfire missile to educate a community. Like, hey, everybody here is going to read. That's all that we care about. We're putting in schools, you're gonna to learn to read, you'll be able to read in two months, right? And see how that goes. Have we tried that? No. Does it sound crazy? Yes. Have we tried it? No. Like, give me the opportunity to fail, see if it works. I bet you will save money and lives. 
But then again, you have to get them to actually want to do something that's not going to line their pockets for the next 30, 40 years because of bombs and guns and weapons that are being made. You're not going to benefit from it the same way. Everybody knows, especially the women, if you can read and you're educated, you're going to be more prosperous in your life. Oh, absolutely. everybody knows that. Yeah. Right. So everybody will want to learn how to read. And that's like when you look at our, our school program in Afghanistan, Aid Afghanistan for Education, they educate girls from ages five to 55. Yeah. Because there are women who were raised during the Soviet invasion. They were raised during the times of the Taliban. They didn't get an education. They were forbidden from getting an education. Now they have the opportunity to. So they want to learn how to read. They're hungry for it. Yes, they and are. They're and they're willing to do it. So the, the, the challenge is just like, how do we get Americans? you know, to, to yeah. not pay all the money for the movies, not buy all the books, not listen to all the spoken word by the guys in uniform and look at guys like the Peace Corps and all these other organizations that are doing things that just don't look as sexy on TV, but provide infinitely more benefit to the planet. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. The, the thing that I find frustrating the most is when you go into a country and you, you don't ask questions, you shoot first. And that's what I feel like was happening when I was there and that that to me was one of the most troubling things there was no there was no chance to have a conversation because we were already kicking your door in during your morning prayer like there's there's no chance to to uh, to sit down and ask how do we fix this how do we how do we help you help yourself so that you don't have to be self-reliant on the Taliban and have to grow these poppies for them and have to produce all of this, you know, opium for them? How do we help you get out of that cycle? There's no, there's just, there's none of that. And so I'm, I'm beyond glad to hear that you guys are doing, are doing the work for that. Um, being a woman and knowing and knowing what it's like over there and then having to be also a woman and demand the same respect as a man and, I had women risk their lives to show me that they had shaved their legs in front of me because they were like wanted to impress me in like some Western weird way because they had no other way. I had this little girl I took a picture with and she was my only positive female interaction and she had never even seen her own image. Like she had never, and uh, she took my camera and ran into the compound and I'm like, well, there goes, that's that. Cause they, the, when we went in, they locked all the women and children away. And so it was just the men outside. So I went in and I opened the door and they give me the camera back and she lifts up her burqa and she goes, she's pointing, she goes, and then she's like, you, you, like trying to say like you. And I'm like, my brain was exploding with the fact that they just are so it's this they're so underprivileged they're so left to their own devices and to be controlled by these people that just brainwash them over and over and we're all just so okay with it and it's only because they happen to be born in the wrong place it's really troubling it's yeah i don't know it's it's yeah, lot. and it's and there and there's a lot in there culturally, like oh yeah, yeah. It's you know, like we post a lot on social media, and so we get the anti-Islamic comments and fuck Afghanistan, and who gives a shit about this all the time, and like we get that stuff all the time. And I just remember being on this moment of like, it was like 5 a.m. getting up, checking in with my aircraft in the morning, and watching these women, these three little girls, come out and play on the on the roof of the building below me, 
And I'm just sitting up there and they didn't know I was there, just sitting there watching them. And uh, they were just happy and pure. Like they weren't polluted by anything. And then their mom came out and, you know, and, and played with them. Right. And then she kissed on them and she hugged them. And that's the mother loving on her kids, on her daughters. And then they went inside the house. Right. And they're humans. Like they just happen to be born here, but they have no chance for equality. And there's, if, you know, a few other things in there. If you, depending on what religion or background you come from, they have no chance of getting to heaven. That's like, right. To, to me, that's fucked up. Yeah. Like, these girls, we were the first white people they had seen in that valley since the British. That's and insane. Th- there's no person carrying any book or touting any religion that's going to, that would have ever made it up there. To, to give them the opportunity to get to heaven through their way. And you tell me like that little girl who's pure and beautiful is not going to heaven. Like that's bullshit. She did nothing so wrong. Just, yeah, nothing wrong. There's so many levels of it in there that it just, it's, it's just screwing us up between nations and cultures that we can't see that there's a little kid who just needs to be educated and loved. You just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm reacting the way I'm reacting is because I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody that's resonated with me in the way that you are and talking about that culture in the way that you do. Um, I've never, never once. I, I, I have a group of people around me that are still operators and stuff. And there's still this, you know, this shit perspective of these people. But when you talk about them, the way you just spoke about them like that, I'm sorry if that isn't changing some minds and some some people that are listening to this, then you're out of your goddamn mind. If you're not, a, if you're a parent and you're not hearing that and that's not affecting you, then there's something wrong with you. And I know because there's something wrong with me, but it's affecting the hell out of me. So I, I just, I'm sorry if I'm a little bit taken back after you say stuff like that, Griff, because it's, uh, how do I come on a trip there with you guys? How do I help? Yeah, so when, when things open up again, we'll go. Right. But yeah, I mean, basically you just got to carry some bags and don't do anything stupid. It'd be fine. Yeah. It's, it's all good. Like we roll safe. We roll low biz. We're good to go. Well, that's the difference with you guys though. Would you take me? Could I come? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, totally fine. Yeah. I totally roll out with you. I think my husband will have a stroke, but it's for my mental health, man. Probably have a stroke. Is he, is he a vet? No. You don't marry into the military when you're in the military, please. Yeah, I married one of you. It's crazy. It didn't work, but I get it. <laughs> we got the lip, bro. Are you on? So you're on number two? Uh, no, I, I'm just done with number one. I don't think I'm going to go for a number two. You're just going to? Okay. Because I, I was talking to, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the Vet Pivot uh, Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to this guy and he's like, I'm on my, um, oh, my last one was my practice marriage. This is my, this is my good, I'm like, practice marriage? Shit. No, I've, I've, no, my guy's, uh, mine used to be a professional supercross racer. Yeah. So he's got the wire. He's fine. He should get it. Oh no. Oh no. He gets it. Trust he gets it. But he's also like, we have a four year old child and you companies and things to do. And I'm like, well, I want to go shoot guns and run around in the sand. I, I don't want to shoot guns anymore, especially in that environment. I just prefer not that to get in, do my business, get out. Yeah. Do you do you um do you hunt or do you use any guns now, like recreationally? Yeah, I'm a big hunter. I'm an archery hunter. When I got out of the military, I, I kind of put down my rifles because it was just didn't feel sporting. If I could see it, I could hit it, and it just wasn't good. And so now I'm a big uh, big archery hunter. So I got my elk and my deer this year. So I'm pretty. pretty oh, happy. you did, eh? Did you just get one uh, each? Get your tags? One each. Yeah, one each. Yeah, I'm going for uh 
I was going to go for bear season, but I had a couple other things popped up in life. But uh, mountain lion season is is upon us now that snow's hitting the hitting the mountains. So I'm gonna go get a mountain lion. Who did I hear say that? Oh, those are okay. Apparently, those are some type of gnarly to catch. But also, I heard they taste really good. They taste like the best pork chops you've ever had. Really? Yeah, they're Online. super good. Okay, Super I'm, good. I'm gonna have to. Um, what I'm gonna have to do is when when the world is a little less chaotic, I'm gonna have to send you meet you at the border, and I'm gonna have to buy some mountain lion off of you just to say I've had some mountain lion because I, I I can't. We have them up here like crazy, and uh, the idea of trying to catch one of them because half the time you don't even know they're there. Yeah, you, you don't catch them for sure. You shoot them. Like, yeah. yeah. You don't want to catch one. Like some people are like, you ever try to hang on to a 15 pound angry house cat? Um, I do have a 15 pound angry house cat and I'm not fucking kidding. Yeah. He's an asshole. Yeah, like it's impossible, right? Just imagine a 200 pound mountain yeah. lion, right? That's a trained predator that lives out there and it didn't get that big by being nice. Like they're it's not survived. It's yeah. survived. It's, it's thrived. It's, there's a reason it's alive and now you're most likely going to die. They say that when we, uh, cause we go, I'd like to go, I like to hike. Um, but they, so I would go up here a lot and, uh, like the number one thing is like, if you go up nearing the chief or anything like that and you hear the wrestling, you're like, okay, it's behind me. It's, it's fine. Just keep moving. Everything's fine. And when you're walking and you see some of these little dogs with these people, I'm like, oh my God, don't, you're not getting that back. That's little taste of snacks. Yeah. That's, it's going to do this. And by the time you know, it's gone, it's gone. So you're, you're not going to get it. So, um, so, yeah, and you'd be susceptible because you're the size of a small child. So they would definitely go for you before me. So yeah. I'd, I'd be totally comfortable hiking with you. Oh, yeah, I know. Most people <laughs> are. Oh, yeah. You're total dick. That's okay. My buddies, my buddies love that. They're like, you're the best target. Like for anything, you're, you're the female. So you're always going to be the weakest in their eyes. And then <laughs> you're the smallest. Like you're, you're by far the smallest. And if we just weigh you down with stuff, you won't run as fast. You'll be, you're done. It's my nightmare. I don't hunt. I, 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 the idea of, listen, I would like to hunt. I would like to learn how to hunt properly, but I've never hunted and I've never killed an animal. I, I don't know that, that there's something about that. Um, the animal whole, like just the whole, I don't know. I don't know. I get it if I'm eating it. I get it if I'm eating it. Yeah. When I got out, like, uh, one of the best things that ever happened is my ex father-in-law took me out salmon fishing and halibut fishing oh, in really? Canada. Yeah, we went out to Vancouver Island and we had just a great experience. And then I'm a big believer that the the daily nature bath is good for veterans getting outside in the wilderness without a gun in your hand, you know, and just being able to get outside and do something fun. Mm -hmm. So I just poured myself into that. And so hunting and fishing is is one of my things where I'm just able to have an excuse to go get outside and sit in the woods and, and do nothing for a bit, which I think is healthy for a lot of us. I think it's incredibly healthy. I think that's why a lot of vets, um, there's a ton of groups and at least a lot of the charities we support, they do, they do a lot of outdoor things. They do like the uh, surfing camps out in Tofino. They do, you know, the hunting camps, the wilderness camps, all those types of uh, things where you basically hang out, shoot animals, eat the animals, bond and, you know, that, those, those sort of things. And, and that always seems to be most cathartic um, for vets and things like that. When you work with uh, when you work within these programs and then um, things like that, how how does it work with combat flip flops? Like, so if somebody were to buy a pair of your flip flops, how does that directly impact? Like, is there a dollar amount per school it takes um, to to keep those schools running? Like, how does that all work? So I mean, like we're an inches make miles kind of team. 
Got but it. just don't focus on the big thing. Just focus on the little thing right in front of you. Mm-hmm. So for every 200 pieces sold, a little girl goes to school for a year. It's just really simple. It's just 200 pieces. That's it. Yeah. 200 pieces of whatever, you know, our footwear or our shamas. And yeah. then we donate a portion of that, which ends up being about 2% of gross, which is a lot. I and mean, when you look at like Patagonia or those other companies, like, oh, we give 1% of profits. Yeah. That's oh, cute. That's, yeah. That's, that's cute. Yeah. No, but like we, we are a super thin company running really small as yeah. efficient as we can. So we really try to maximize our donations. And so far we've put over 800 girls in school. So like, we're, we're happy with that. Like I'm, I'm good. I get hit by a truck tomorrow. I'd be fine. Cause you know, you've done your part. Yeah. I mean, I, I emptied my karma cup a couple times, you know, downrange and I've kind of felt like the, uh, the need to fill it back up and. That's yeah. a beautiful way to put it though. Yeah. 10 years of doing it and I'm feeling better about myself and I'm okay with that. My God, bro. I'm just, ah, Griff, you're hitting me. I can't, can't deal with the feels you're giving me right now. You're giving yeah, and I, a lot of, I was a red leg, like I was a red leg like you. Right. So when you do damage, you do a lot of damage. Yeah. And so I did a lot of damage. And so, yeah, that definitely a couple events where I know that I emptied my karma cup in a, in a big way. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You try to fill it, you try to fill it up with everything in between. You try to fill it up with sports. You try to fill it up with hunting. You try to fill it up with alcohol. You try to fill up with drugs. You try to fill up with work, all that other stuff. And the only thing that fills it up is you just like getting your shit square and, you know, trying to help other people. That's it. That's what happened when I, when I started fucking with beads on the kitchen table there about five years ago, maybe five years in March actually started this. Yeah. And that's when I started to realize like when I got back, it was, it was this anger. It was this hatred. It was this, you know, just destructiveness towards myself and lack of wanting to be on this planet and feeling sorry for myself and how to, why did I survive? You know, the whole, the whole, you know, why did I live and why did he die? Why did this happen? What, you know, all, you're going to question all of those things and you're going to feel all of those things. And then all of a sudden you just don't feel anything anymore. And then it gets to a point and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I realized I wanted to have a new mission and I wanted to help again, but I wanted to help and I had no damn clue how to do it because I don't know that people realize that there, it doesn't, you don't have to do a lot. It doesn't have to be this grand thing. Like you said, Small steps. Small steps. If we all do a little together, we do a lot, right? It's ounces make pounds, inches make miles, like pennies make dollars. Just a little bit every day. This is, gotta- this is a special operator, and you can tell the difference. I've been trying to explain yeah. it to all these people around here. The difference between people who are like you and people that were our regular soldiers. There's a very different thought process that goes into everything and the way that you guys um, compartmentalize whether it's positive or negative and you're able to find a way to bring it back in a in a healthy way which is incredible to me how do we it's going to cut off though how do we um, how do we help how does brass and unity help you guys get more people in school how do how does this podcast how do i as as a human being how do i help how do i help uh, so pretty simple is we're going to give you guys a coupon code, brass and BNU25, whatever you want it to be. You just tell me what you want it is. And then when you post it out there, just get people to come to the website, buy something. Like you're going to get a badass product with a lifetime warranty from a veteran owned company that puts a little girl in school. It doesn't suck. It doesn't like, suck. We make jewelry out of landmines. <laughs> they clear more landmines. We put kids in school. We make badass flip flops. It's a cool story. It's a great conversation starter. And yeah. we're not that expensive. Like, no, you're not. No, your price point's bent. You're pr- you could charge more easily, to be honest. You guys could be charging a lot more. 
very easily for the quality of the product that you guys have. And I think that's why you guys are going to stand the test of time. I think that's why you guys are going to continue to change the world. And, and if there's any way you ever want to work with us in some capacity, I would be honored and more. And I know my customers would be more than honored to, to help put little girls in school. I don't have a little girl. I have a little boy that is in nature preschool, actually. I believe, you know, our, our views are aligned. The way we think is aligned. And the way that we are trying to help, I think, is aligned. And I, I'm hopeful that my viewers, my listeners, and, and everybody that's gotten the opportunity to listen to Griff and I chat, and Griff freaking just drives stakes into my heart, um, really take take inventory about, about what they're doing, what they're spending their money on, how they're affecting the world and their actions, and, and how we can continue to help um, combat flip-flops really move forward and, and bring these little girls some education so that hopefully instead of uh, shooting guns we can start sending books and, and impacting in a positive positive way so Griff I want to say thank you so so much from the bottom of my heart um, for having uh, the time you know to come on with a Canadian that you didn't even know so thank you so very much appreciate it and uh, as everybody goes on to this year on the holiday season and all the chaos is going on right now like the one word of advice that comes from special operations or the one mantra is calm is contagious just be calm it's going to be fine if you're the calm person in the room you can settle everything down pretty quickly calm is contagious i love that thank you griff so much for coming on the podcast today thanks kelsey i appreciate it i hope you guys have a great weekend and a great holiday So at the end of this episode, just like every other on the Brass and Unity podcast, we feature a charity that's doing the hard work. And this uh, week's charity feature is True Patriot Love. And they are a military family health and support center that focuses on mental health, physical health, research, and innovation. They are a Canadian charity that helps so many. So please do yourself a favor if you are looking for any sort of resources or people to help out, please do yourself a favor and go to truepatriotlove.ca and um, see what they can do for you guys there. See you all next week.